0: The volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, It's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee. that's R-E-N-E-E, so they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. one 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. one 800 gambler or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. one 770 stop for Louisiana. one 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 8 hope NY. Or text Hope NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, one 800 889 9789 and for wyoming visit www.1800gambler.net for west virginia how is everybody doing on this fine day is spring here yet are we ready to lean in how are our allergies doing we can have allergy check every week right now i'm good a deep breath. I'm feeling good right now. Let's hope it stays that way. I don't know. I don't know what the Midwest is going to do to me with uh, with allergies this season. So everybody buckle up. Maybe somebody uh, that also lives in Ohio or in and around this area can tell me what uh, I'm in for because the desert really did me in. I don't think I had allergies until I lived in the desert. Any hoodles? You guys are here to hear uh, Johnny Gargano, right? You guys saw his name on the the title. Johnny Wrestling, this man doesn't do a ton of interviews, especially right now. I mean, he is in full dad mode. Um, he is in downtime mode, not wrestling currently, as his contract has run out with WWE, with NXT. So, what does the future hold for this man? Big time question mark, I think, for everybody. I always love when people come on, I can be like super honest. I know sometimes it can be a little bit difficult. Uh, depending on contracts and not wanting to peel back the curtain too too much on things. Completely understand that, of course. But I love that Johnny came on here and I feel like he really gave great answers, some really like thoughtful answers and uh, just a, a ton of honesty behind a, a lot of stuff that we got into just from his time at NXT um, to, you know, his time on the independents to um, yeah his relationships with people at WWE, whether it's Hunter, Sean, Matt Bloom. We got into all sorts of things to what his last moment was like walking out and cutting that final promo um, with NXT and then also discussing like, dude, what is your wrestling style going to be like when you come back? Are you still going to go as hard as Johnny Wrestling when you know that you've got sweet little baby Quill hanging at home that's going to need his dad to get down on the floor and play with him and pick him up and do all those dad things. So we got into all that stuff. Um, so anyways, let's just get into it. Here he is. Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Gargano. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I've, uh, I've already changed. Just the, I mean, it's the afternoon right now. I've already changed about four diapers. I'm four diapers <laughs> in. I don't even know what really sleep is anymore. Like, I don't know what day it is anymore. I don't know what time it is anymore. I'm just kind of on a newborn schedule right now.
0: It's weird when you get in like that delirious state where you like sleep for a couple hours, but then you're like chugging coffee in the time that you are awake. And then it all just kind of blends into this weird like other world where you have no idea what's going on.
1: 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes where we started recording, me and Candace experienced our first blowout of the diaper. So the first, the first, and if you, you can, I'm sure you can search it online. If you don't know what I'm talking about, everybody. The one where you turn them around and you see on the back of their clothes, it's just poop uh so that that is what we experienced today i feel even worse for candace because she got like the okay to start working out again and doing things like that because she's like i'm gonna work out today it's gonna be my first time worked out in forever so she put on her fresh workout bottoms and she was like i'm just gonna be great and she was feeding him we just hear like (laughs) well it's just it's usual you get used to it you get used to the the farts but then he just kept like more and more and more and she was just sitting there feeding him. she's like i think wait a minute and she pulled him up, turned him around, all over his back, all over Candace's fresh rock Under Armour <laughs> workout pants, all up his back. It's great. So that's what that's what I was doing ten minutes before we got on the air here.
0: It's the worst when you like you've got that onesie that that happens, and you go. There's only way this is coming off is over the head. Now what do I do? That it's like you got to really figure out how to strategically rip that thing off. Man, the things we do.
1: I'm lucky we were there together it was a two person job so we kind of like each It
0: was a moment. Yeah,
1: we pulled pulled the onesie to where we <laughs> slip his head out and not get it on him. But yeah, it was it, it was like I said we've been waiting for it. He hasn't done it yet. Uh so today was the today was the day we got our first one.
0: It's really funny, those like experiences, not that you're like looking forward to them, so to speak, but you know that they're going to happen. But like when, so your baby's what, just over a month old, six, six weeks about right around there. Yeah. And it's so crazy. I know everyone says this, but my daughter's almost 10 months old now. I feel like we were just where you guys are now. Like it goes so fast that our baby, she fully started crawling yesterday. She's doing like a bear crawl for a while. And now she's like fully zooming, pulling herself up on things. Like she's a wild woman. So get ready. It happens in the blink of an eye. It's crazy.
1: We're doing the thing where like, you know, you hold him on your chest and he's doing like the, the full head, like put his head up and like can control his neck. So it's not just like, not just like this anymore. And now he's like actually like coming up and it's quite the experience to like have him, And he just like pops his head up and he just, he's just right. He's right here in your face. And my, my favorite trick I've been doing with him recently, uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Batman Returns with uh, Danny DeVito as the penguin. Penguin eats a guy's nose whenever uh, he's hungry. I like to put him up to my face and he thinks my nose is a boob. <laughs> so he latches onto my nose as I was eating it. And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's a nose. That's that's been my trick. I've been showing people that anyone that comes over the house. I'm like, watch what my son can do.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! So dad life is treating you well so far. So good. You are taken to it like a duck to water.
1: I think so. Uh, Candace says I'm doing a good job. Uh, I like it's just one of those things you don't know because I, I I have never I've never been one to go into a house and hold a child. I'm not like a big I want to hold a baby guy because I was always afraid. I have a weird thing with babies where I feel like if you go to a party and someone hands you a baby, like say someone's holding the baby and it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. Hand it off. It's nice. Nice. It's nice. And they hand it to you and the baby starts crying. Like immediately everyone judges you like, Oh, what the baby knows you're a bad person.
0: Or it's like, you you know, everyone in the room is all of a sudden just like gauging like, how you are as a person like it's weird like how how paternal are you gonna be and it's like oh my god <laughs> i don't know
1: <laughs> so i was like i don't want to put myself in that situation outside of uh, tomaso's baby willow that's the only other baby i was forced to hold but now with your own because my thing was always with my own like if if something happens like i created it so you know like no no judgment because i kind of made it so it's mine it's me and Candace, so we can do it. Whatever, it's fine. If it breaks, it's on us. <laughs> no judgment.
0: <laughs> you break it, you already bought it. Yeah, it's too fine. bad. I own it
1: anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I've gotten pretty good at changing diapers. The first diaper is is such a whirlwind. The very first poop.
0: Yeah, the like black meconium stuff.
1: The black like venom symbiote like poop that comes out. Of, I, like literally, I because I don't I don't know any about anything about any of this. So I like. I'm like, Oh I got to change a diaper. First diaper I'm going to change. And Candace knows because she's I've been around babies. So I pull it back and I'm like, is this, is this normal? Like what is it? This doesn't look like poop at all. This is black tar that's coming out of my child.
0: Have you received any nuggets of wisdom from guys like Champa? Maybe Kyle O'Reilly also new to the dad club. What are you guys in like a dad group chat? What's going on?
1: So Kyle uh, just texted me recently and, uh, I kind of asked him like how are things going because he's like weeks ahead as well. Maybe about a month before us he had he had Janie so I was kind of going on him like how, how's your sleep schedule going because that's a big thing for me. I'm like, how is the sleep training going? And he's like, it's going great. We're at like seven to nine hours a night. like we're doing fantastic. And I'm like, I'm like, what? You getting seven to nine hours I'm lucky to get an hour and a half like hour and a half where this kid's not making noise. He's like, oh I got this book. So like, I'm like, Candace, order this book. We need this book.
0: What is the book?
1: (laughs) Mom's Good Call or Mom's Call or something. Some book that like we got. And uh, like, it has like a sleep schedule thing where you like, you bathe them and then you put them in the swaddle and you can white noise and things like that. So we're in the process of trying all that out. The funniest thing is the advice I got before the birth from like Tommaso and Pete and everyone like that. Because I feel like one day Tommaso, Pete, were with me and Kyle and they were kind of giving us like tips on when the baby shows up and Tommaso was very big on you got to receive the baby you got to be there in the front line you got to be down there it's life-changing it's a life-changing moment you got to be in it and you got to receive the baby and I'm like I don't know I don't know about all that I think uh I think once I see something I'm not going to be able to unsee it (laughs)
0: That's the fear. That is the fear. That's our fear as well. Just so you know, we're like, mm, I don't know if you gotta be down there to see that.
1: They would give me the, each their story about how childbirth went. And I feel like everyone I've talked to has a different oh, yeah. story about how that day went. As far as like, Tommaso had his story. Pete Dunn had his story. Kyle, I'm sure has his story. And our story, of course, we kind of went through everything in labor you could possibly go through. They were like, oh, it's going to be, 12 to 48 hours, because Candace, due to her age, uh, which is a weird thing in itself.
0: Oh, I went through the exact same thing. It was the same thing for me, too. Did you have to be induced?
1: Yes, okay. Okay. Same with me, and it was rotten. Okay, we're going to induce you, and it'll be like 12 to 48 hours. Of course, Quill, of course, went on the more 48-hour side. So 48 hours of just waiting for this kid to pop out, ultimately for him not to come out on his own, so we had to kind of go in and get him. And that whole thing in itself was like, Forty-eight hours of horrible labor where like I feel I'd like to have my have control of things.
0: I should hand this whole podcast over to John right now because you two could just hash it out about <laughs> right? this of just okay, like is there's nothing, similar things. Yeah, there's nothing you can do but watch us just be in like brutal pain oh, for horrible. like 24, 48 hours. It's and, horrible and nothing happens.
1: <laughs> the whole time I would look at Candace and be like, Do you want to do this again? Because I I'm sure you're going through it right now a lot worse than I am. But I'm kind of like, I don't want to do this. Ever again. This sucks. (laughs) Because she would go through like contractions and I would just kind of walk over there like rubber back and like I can't do anything. And I was one of those guys where if anything, anything was going wrong, or if I felt like anything was off, I'm calling the nurse. Like at one point, I was like looking at her like IV and I saw like a bubble in it. I was like, wait a minute, that bubble's not supposed to be in that IV. (laughs) I've heard stories of this. So I like called the nurse. I'm like, there's a bubble in the IV. They're like, it's fine. It's not, it's not gonna do anything. I'm like, okay, but I felt like that was my job is to kind of just, I, I got to do something, right?
0: It's actually, I'm not funny, but as soon as I saw you post a picture of your baby, I was like, oh, that's a C-section baby right there. Because Nora was the same. They don't get the squished faces when they come out. They come out beautiful.
1: He had the cone head and he had a squished face because Candace was pushing for 48 hours.
0: Oh, I didn't even get to the push stage.
1: Like I said, we went through everything. So Candace like pushed for 48 hours and he would come out a little bit, and he would suck right back up.
0: She must have been exhausted, that poor thing.
1: And, and what a rush of adrenaline it is for them to decide, like, oh, we're going to do the C-section now. 20 minutes later, he was out. In hindsight, we're like, we should have just did planned the C-section the whole time. Like, why did we go through all this? We went through 48 hours of nonsense just to have him come out.
0: So I didn't even know that that was an option because I had been in labor for 24 hours. And then at one point I was like, when are we, are we going to like pull the trigger here and just go have a C-section? And they're like, do you want one? I was like, whatever we got to do. And they're like, oh, you have to tell us. I was like, I didn't know that. I would have pulled the trigger 12 hours ago.
1: When we went into the process, I was like, who determines the, the vibe in the room? Like, is it us? Do we give the energy off? Or like, who is it? Because I'm always like, when you watch on TV... It's like hectic and it's crazy and everything's going on. Like who makes that happen? Through 48 hours, I quickly realized, oh, the nurses definitely dictate the vibe because sometimes some of them are super calm and super nice. And then other of them are like crazy, like hectic. we gotta do this, we gotta do that. Uh, Because also what made it even worse for like the 48 hours, I'm sure you had to go through it as well. Like they have the monitor on the baby where they can determine its heart rate. So at some points the heart rate would drop and you know how stressful it is To be like laying in the room and they have the heart rate monitor turned up as loud as it can go, and you hear his heartbeat the whole time, and then it just stops. Then people rush in and they like turn her over. It's like it's such a it's such a (laughs) such a stressful experience.
0: It's funny, I showed a picture of him to John last night, and John's like very much like, our baby's cute. I love our baby. And I was like, check out this baby. And he was like, Oh, that's a cute baby, very handsome guy.
1: The doctor said, and like he was completely honest, he's like, Look. I normally lie to people and tell them their baby's cute. Most babies are aliens and they come kind out of look like aliens. And Kane has prepared me the baby might come out looking like an alien. He's like, look, like I'm being 100% honest with you guys. That's a cute baby. <laughs> that is a very cute baby. And I was like, yeah. I felt I was like that was my first proud dad moment. And I was like, yeah, like we did a good job. We did a good job.
0: Where did you guys come up with the name Quill from?
1: Uh, so it's based on uh, Star Lord slash Peter Quill from Guardians of the Galaxy. But believe it or not, and people would guess it was me that did it was not me. Candice was actually the one that came up with the name Quill. She put it to me like two years ago. I was like, that's great. So all we really needed was the baby now, but we wanted it to be a boy's name. So we needed it to be a boy. So luckily it worked out. If it would have been a girl, we would have went back to the well. I don't know what I would I think we had backup plans, but yeah, we've had the Quill name in the bank for about two years. And we were very particular about who we told and who we didn't tell because we didn't want to be those people to tell the name And then someone steals the name because I felt like that. And that's a thing.
0: I've always been of the impression that I'm like, if there's a name that I like, I want to put it out there so that my name like I've already stamped it as being mine. But I know people can obviously swoop in there and steal it. But then like then then that's on their conscience. You know, like how can you steal a baby name? That's crazy.
1: I also feel like people judge the name before they see the baby. So like if you're like, I'm going to name the baby Quill. They're like, ah, uh, and people already do that as it is. But people are like, ah, uh, I don't know about any of that. I feel it's different when you actually have the baby. You say, this is Quill. Then they see the face. Like, what are they going to do that? They can't say, you're a stupid little baby. You're a stupid <laughs> name. going to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, what a good time for you guys to have a baby, huh? I mean, perfect timing for you to be home, have some downtime. Like, as everything was winding down for you in terms of your contract with NXT and having Candace being pregnant, I mean, what were kind of the emotions you were going through with all that?
1: I felt like I was in a good place. I felt this way for a while to where I felt like I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in NXT. That's kind of one of those things where I said, I talked about kind of betting on yourself because it is kind of a a scary thing to have a a new baby on the way and decide, like, I'm going to turn down this new contract. That's a good contract, a safe contract. You're going to get money every single week coming in uh, to kind of go off and do your own thing. Uh, But I felt really good. I felt just complete. And like I said, I felt that way for a long time. But being able to kind of, I guess, end that story, on kind of on my own terms, like have that match. And then have like that promo segment to where I was kind of able to kind of say goodbye, which a lot of people don't get a chance to do nowadays. And like, I was very lucky to be given that chance. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because so many people thought yeah. that I resigned, obviously, because they're like, no one gets this treatment to where they're able to kind of do their match and then come out the next night on live television, which is, which is wild, is live television. I could have literally said, You had a very poetic
0: exit. Yeah.
1: And they kind of let me say anything I wanted. I went and I sat down with one of the writers, but all the words that came out were my own. I wrote my own thing. Uh, I I wanted to thank people. I wanted to do things like that. Like I said, I feel like I just have such a good relationship, a good rapport with everyone in NXT and everyone in WWE in general that the saddest thing to me, and you can see the footage, like I was crying. Like I was literally crying. And I was crying uh, for a particular reason when I walked out is because I gave a present. I gave two presents. I gave a present to Matt Bloom and I gave a present to Shawn Michaels. I told Sean the caveat was that he needed to open his present in front of me right before I went through the curtain. And then Shawn's an emotional guy uh, and we have a great relationship. So I gave him this present and uh, he opens it and he starts crying. <laughs> and in turn made me start crying. So that's when you watch the show, I'm coming out and I'm crying already. It's because like, We had that moment right before I went through the curtain.
0: What was the present? Can you say what the present was?
1: I did like tribute gear to him at an in-your-house takeover event. And like I had a headband. And uh, no one in the world has a piece of any of the takeover gear I've worn. Uh, So me and Candace the night before did a little shadow box. And uh, we did a shadow box with a headband in it. And we did a picture of me and him dressed in the gear. And then me and him when I was a kid when I met him. So, like, kind of side-by-side pictures.
0: Oh, that just gave me, like, goosebumps.
1: I know, yeah. And then I wrote a nice message on the back as well about how much he's meant to me and how much he's meant to my career and things like that. So uh, I was able to give that to him right before I went through the curtain. And obviously, he started crying. I started crying. (laughs) And then it's funny because Candace has never seen me cry. So that was kind of the first time she's ever seen me cry. Wait,
0: Candace has never seen you cry? What?
1: Never seen me cry. So, like, she was very adamant that... If I didn't cry when the baby was born, I was going to be in big trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. If, if Sean gets your tears, Quill also deserves your tears.
1: Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, but yeah, so to be able to kind of do that and have that moment, I was going to miss is I was going to miss like the place I was going to miss the people. I'm sure you know, like the thing you miss is like you're around these people for six years, years gone. Like you're like you're in this bubble. And it, I do call it a bubble because it is a bubble where you're in this bubble for so long. I was in the bubble for six years And I was extremely lucky to where I never really had any injuries. I was on TV consistently in storylines consistently for six years to where I'm just around it at all times. Uh, And I, especially with the performance center, that's the kind of a weekly thing, you know, like I would go in and I'd work out and I'd go in and I'd see people like, that was a thing that would happen for me for six years. And now it's kind of just, it's gone in wrestling. It's a weird thing to where like, we all still live in Orlando. Like we're still in Orlando, but like, you don't, see people anymore (laughs) you just don't see them anymore and i think that was the 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 hardest part especially with like the way i saw nxt going and like with adam leaving and with kyle contracts coming up and and everyone kind of out the door like we're around all these people for so long and then you kind of look around the locker room and like all your friends are gone it affects you like it hurts you because you're like now you're not seeing your friends anymore on a, on a daily basis. And it just, it makes you sad. So at that point, like, I felt like, I don't know, I have a chance to kind of tell my story and end it the right way. And also kind of leave on great terms to where, you know, whatever happens in the future happens, but I can kind of take this time now to be around Candace, to be around Quill, enjoy dad life for a little bit. Cause it, 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 it's just funny how things work out to where I was able to kind of time that out. It was not on purpose. It was definitely not on purpose, but I think everything happens for a reason. And uh, it gave me a great opportunity.
0: It's really wild how that does happen too. And like, you kind of look around and the moment in time that you had that you were able to capture with those six years was kind of like that lightning in a bottle situation of, like you said, of having consistent storylines, always being on TV, not having injuries that once you see that, okay, I feel like that chapter's kind of done now to now figure out what to do. So did it feel like the writing was on the wall for you to leave? Or were you kind of waffling back and forth at any point?
1: I kind of made my mind up like a year in advance that this was gonna be my last.
0: That's pretty crazy considering how much changes has had happened within that last year as well.
1: I know, like like, and like, like people said like, oh, Johnny left because NXT changed. No, like I was always, I kind of had it in my mind that, uh, and like I wasn't leaving to go to any particular place. I kind of just felt like I needed to, to go I felt like if you watch a TV show, or if you watch anything in general, if you see the same character, and obviously I changed character, I turned heel, I did funny stuff, I did things like that here and there. Uh, But if you see the same person on TV for five years, six years, it gets stale. I believe that being off TV and being away makes people miss you. And I think people need to have a chance to miss you. And if they don't, then they don't really care in general. So I felt like The last year, I was like, I'm going to have fun this past year, and I'm going to do whatever I can to try to set this place up for the future. That's why me and Candace focused a lot on Indy Hartwell. We wanted to give India a a good spot. We wanted to give Austin Theory a good spot. Uh, We wanted to help out as much as possible. I wanted to try and give guys opportunities that they wouldn't have gotten to have a a long match with Kushida at a takeover. I was really proud I was able to give him that spotlight as well. Um, It was really important for me to try to help as many people as possible before I left to kind of set that place up for a good spot for the future. And honestly, like, it's it's no secret that in this day and age, uh, the age of mental health and social media and things like that, I felt like I was beaten down. And I felt like mentally, I'm sure there, there is the stigma of you're in the public eye, you need to have thick skin. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. <laughs> and we can only take so much.
0: That is like really a bullshit phrase when you think about it, that I know that that's been pounded into our heads for so long. But like, just because you want to be an entertainer does not mean that you should also have to sacrifice being berated or being, you know, the, the, the stuff that just happens online to, you know, all the different things that kind of come with that.
1: I genuinely, I genuinely love NXT. But like for so long, people like were like, when's Johnny going to move to Raw on SmackDown? When's Johnny going to do this? When's Johnny going to do that? And it's just that, that constant question and that constant like people saying like, go do this, go do that. And like trying to take control of my career and what I want to do. Because like, honestly, like, what I want out of wrestling is just I want to be able to have creative freedom. I want to be able to have these matches, tell these stories, and kind of just have fun. And the minute it's not fun, the minute it becomes a job and it becomes stress, and just you're constantly beat down by stress is when I don't want to be a part of it anymore. So I kind of felt like the past year, hearing everything on social media, dealing with all this crap, I was kind of like, "I, I want to take this year, put my all into it, kind of leave on good terms kind of take a break and uh luckily it worked out where we had a baby. Uh and I don't know if the baby like finalized my decision because I had the idea that I wasn't going to resign. But uh I think if the baby wouldn't be on the table and they came to me with a, a different I who knows. Who knows what would have happened. But the baby kind of came into play and I was like, okay, I definitely need to be in the best headspace, as good a headspace as possible for when this baby gets here. So I need to completely detach from the wrestling stuff for a little bit and focus on him and uh, focus on all that stuff.
0: It's crazy how the universe works like that. Cause even as I was winding down my time with WWE and I was like, yeah, you know, I would love to have a baby. I'm at that age. It's time to do that. And I'm ready to do it. I was like, so into making that happen. And the, the year prior when I was with WWE, it just like was not happening, getting frustrated literally within that next month. After I left WWE, I was like, Oh shit! I'm pregnant. What? And it's like it's so weird how stuff like that just like it, things work out the way that they're supposed to work out, and like it's it's pretty cool. But during that time, I mean, of those, you know, from the beginning time of you joining NXT to that final year, how much did start to change as you know the the powers that be started to change within NXT? I'm sure the creative aspect of things within NXT started to change as they started to swing over into NXT 2.0. What kind of changes were you seeing uh, within that, just in terms of like putting the show together and your character and your control over your creative?
1: So I was very lucky. Obviously, from the time I started to the time I ended in NXT, things were vastly different. Just because I had, uh, when I first started, I was kind of brought in as an extra. And that's, that's I was literally brought in as an extra. Uh, Me and Tommaso.
0: That's so crazy. Yeah, our
1: story's been told a million times, but like literally we did a tryout where we were told no, there isn't a spot for us in NXT, but we might be doing this Dusty Classic thing. That maybe we'll put you guys in for like as a one-off. So we did the Dusty Classic. It went well, and uh, William Regal was obviously like a big liaison for us that would always try to get us on the show because he knew there was potential there. He knew what we had in us. Every week, I had to either text Regal or text the writer at the time, Ryan Ward, and say like, "Hey, like, are we going to be used?" And they're like, "Yeah, like, we'll bring you down for." And another extra spot or another extra spot. We always hear this thing, like, maybe we'll give you this weird contract where you could still do indies, but we'll also have you do NXT when that was being discussed at the time.
0: Is that what was considered like the second tier contract or something yeah, like that? Yeah, like okay, Samoa
1: Joe it. was going to be under it, like when he initially was brought. It was like, oh, It's a weird thing that never ended up happening because legal was like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? We can't do this. <laughs>
0: I was reading about that last night. I was going to ask you about that. I'm like, did that ever happen? That seems so crazy.
1: It was talked about. And I, I had to bug Canyon Seaman literally every week. and be like, is this contract happening or not? And he'd be like, it's happening. We just got to go through legal. It, it never happened. Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, so legal like, was
0: like, no. It
1: got to the point where it was going to happen. And this is even funnier how this works out. It was going to happen. They sent us to Pittsburgh to get medicals to like, get the process going on that. Tomaso's medical came back bad because like his shoulder or something needed surgery. And Hunter was like, well, if his shoulder needs surgery, how about we just sign him, move him to Orlando, and we'll pay for the surgery and everything. And we'll just give him a full-time deal. Obviously, they felt like me and Tommaso, for some point reason, was a package deal. So they're like, oh, Johnny's got to move too. And I was like, what the hell? Like I had this sweet (laughs) deal worked out where I was going to be able to live in Cleveland and still do stuff, but now I got to move to Orlando. So uh, they signed us to full-time deals, moved us to Orlando. Me and Candice literally got married I think like the week or two before we moved to Orlando, so we got married. Never got a honeymoon or anything because we had to move to Orlando or to report for NXT. You still
0: have not had a honeymoon? Not
1: really. No. Oh
0: my gosh! Well, now uh, you're not going to get one for a no, while, no. It's never but <laughs> yeah. And
1: then we moved to Orlando, and uh, Tomaso moved. We moved into a big apartment. Tomaso's wife was still living in Milwaukee, uh, so it was just me, Candace, and Tomaso living in a, an apartment in Orlando a week or two after we got married. So that's literally how our first. Experience went. Then we started there and we were always still kind of looked at as kind of indie guys, extra guys, small guys, things like that. And especially during that time period, uh, before the Cruiserweight Classic, the kind of indie ness of NXT didn't really exist yet. The indie wrestling still kind of had a bad rap. Like you were still kind of looked down upon before the Cruiserweight Classic happened and then everything kind of blew up and everyone got signed. Uh, But like from the time period I started to the time period that I ended on, I gained so much trust, I feel, with the people in power. Uh, I gained so much trust with basically everyone in the office to where I always had a pretty good say on things I did and didn't do. Like, I would always be able to write my promos. I would always be able to give input. They would ask me what I want to do creatively. Uh, So that never changed. My whole time, like, maybe like about like two to three years in is when I started to get that after like, I started main eventing takeovers and having big matches and things like that. And then especially towards the end, I was allowed to do a lot of things that I wanted to do. So I never really saw, personally, I never really saw that big of a change. It was always consistent for me.
0: I don't know if this is even like a thing at all anymore, but kind of like the word on the street that they didn't want indie guys again, like currently. Because obviously that was the thing for a while. I mean, you look at all the guys that were signed that became these huge stars within the company and then starting to move away from that again. Um, What do you know about that or think about that?
1: From what I understand, they're still going to sign indie people, but they want to go away from just the sole, full classes of indie people.
0: They want some NCAA people, yeah.
1: Which is how it was originally as well, which I completely understand in the sense of where any NCAA person they sign, someone that comes from a different walk of life that are just genetic freaks, that's basically a lottery ticket. Like you're buying a lottery ticket. This person could turn out to be the next Kurt Angle. You never know. So, I mean, I totally understand bringing those people in, giving them opportunities and seeing what they turn out to be. I am always going to go more towards the indie wrestling route because that's where I'm from. That's my background. That's what I believe in. I believe in my heart. That's why I kind of lean towards the more uh, indie Hartwell, Cora Jades of the world. And again, that's not taking anything away from those guys, but I firmly believe that you can pay someone to learn a headlock. You can pay someone to learn a wrist lock. You cannot pay someone to love this. You cannot pay someone to love wrestling. And when you're an indie wrestler and you had to pay to train, you had to travel all over and take $5. You have to love this. Because if you don't love this, you ain't going to be doing it. Like, so I, I'm always going to lean towards more giving those people opportunities that I feel like they just want it. And I, I relate to them so much.
0: Hey, guys, if you're here listening to The Sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And You love some combat sports? Well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix, only here on the Volume Podcast Network. How about eight-year-old you getting in the ring for the first time? Yeah. As a yeah. baby. Oh, As my a baby. gosh. I know,
1: yeah, a baby, yeah. So what?
0: <laughs> there was like an independent that was running in the back of your dad's restaurant. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So there was a, an independent wrestling company in Cleveland, Ohio that uh, my dad obviously knew I was a huge wrestling fan. So this indie company came and approached my dad because he has a catering company with a huge parking lot filled with gravel. And they kind of came to him and are like, hey, can we run a show in your back parking lot? And my dad was like, yeah, of course. My son's a huge wrestling fan, just as long as you let my son get in the ring. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem, no problem at all. <laughs> they, they ran a show, Jimmy Superfly Snooka was on the show.
0: Frog Splash, baby, coming in hot.
1: I know, and uh, like so they, they ran the show. And thinking about this now in 2022 is kind of cuckoo bananas. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. So the show, like, I guess they were, they're running a little bit behind. So like, we need to kill time. And me being a chubby eight-year-old Johnny Organo, I had wrestling gear that my mom made me, which was uh, essentially like we went to a thrift store and got like, like ladies, like spandex tights. And uh, I got like a leather vest. And my mom was very crafty. So she like painted the tights. And like, I had my, like my snow boots, which was like my wrestling boots. And like, my name was Jag, by the way. My real name is John Anthony Gargano, So Jag was my wrestling name. And I had my friend who kind of had like a fan of the Opera gimmick as well. He had like a weird, weird fan of the Opera face. So we, of course I had my gear with me. And they're like, hey, do you want to let your son get in the ring with his friend before the show starts and have a match? They're like, yeah, sure. So like me and my friend, got in the ring we weren't trained we were kind of having like what you would expect two eight-year-olds to look like having a wrestling match we did that and it's still one of the most vivid memories in my mind my finisher at the time was called the jagged rock it was a perfect plex in the moment i'm picturing it as clear as day i hooked the perfect plex and i thinking back in my head it is the most beautiful perfect plex this side of kurt Hennig. like it is it is amazing in my little eight-year-old brain, I'm like, I freaking killed it! I just had the best thing ever. Yeah, it's yeah. So that's that's how that was my induction to wrestling was uh, my first match was technically at eight years old.
0: What was it like growing up with a, a dad that was a restaurateur? You guys must have had amazing meals.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I mean, obviously, I, I mentioned that I was a chubby eight-year-old kid. There's a reason for that. It's because my dad owned <laughs> an food. Italian restaurant. Uh, so every day from school, I would come home from school. I would come to my dad's restaurant from school. And my dad would have just the biggest plate of cheese ravioli you could possibly imagine. And I would just sit at the bar, which is another like, another weird thing of my childhood that I guess I don't discuss enough. Like my dad owned a restaurant, but he also owned a bar. Like, and the bar was operational. Most of my childhood was spent just kind of sitting at a bar, watching like Nickelodeon while people were like getting hammered. Old men just having a hard day at work, going through it, like discussing their life to this bartender. And here, a little eight-year-old Johnny Gargano just freaking ripping cheese ravioli, just watching Nicktoons on the the television, literally right there.
0: Did you work at the restaurant?
1: Yes. So I worked at the restaurant when... uh, I worked at the restaurant basically my whole childhood. But then when I graduated from high school, because I decided I wasn't going to go to college, I was going to just train to be a wrestler. Instead, I decided to work for my dad as well. So I worked Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to like 3 p.m. at my dad's restaurant, doing catering and helping him out and then uh, I would go and I'd wrestle on the weekend. So that was how I spent like the first maybe four or five years of uh my wrestling career.
0: Damn. And your mom's Polish, yeah? Yes. Does she make a hell of a pierogi?
1: She she does. She does she, she makes pierogi. Wow, was- you
0: are waffling on that answer. <laughs> I don't know
1: if she would say she makes a hell of a pierogi by herself. She buys store-bought pierogies and cooks them. Okay, sure. Okay.
0: We'll, <laughs> take, it. we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, you going from being chubby eight-year-old Johnny Gargano into now shredded Johnny Gargano. What was that journey like for you to to start getting into like the physical aspects of being a pro wrestler?
1: So I always knew, and I think everyone knows like wrestling is a superficial business, obviously. And being a a smaller guy, you got to kind of bring something to the table. And um, I kind of didn't really figure out dieting and things like that until obviously probably maybe into my NXT career. At that point, I decided to hire a nutritionist. So I hired a nutritionist. I started working with him, obviously working out a lot more. Working with a nutritionist really helped me get dialed in and uh, realize, you know, macro counting and nutrients and things like that. Because when you're first starting out, especially when you're on the Indies, you're kind of ingrained in you that you need to get bigger. You need to get bigger. So like you would eat Subway and you get like double meat turkey sandwiches or you would get Chipotle burrito bowls. Like, that's just
0: Oh yeah, protein
1: it up. I believe Triple H also had in his making the game... Uh, workout book, which I studied a lot as a child, that you need to go to Subway. You need to get a, a six-inch turkey on wheat and you got to get double meat. That's the meal you always got to get.
0: <laughs> John still does that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the
1: indie wrestler. That's what you do. That's how you <laughs> live as an indie wrestler, apparently. I obviously didn't like realize uh, anything like that, but it's so funny how being a 8 year old kid and then you get back into the the mental aspects of all of this and being on television and having to be in the public eye constantly. Being a chubby eight year old kid definitely to now being a 34-year-old adult, it's so funny how your mind plays tricks on you. Like, I talk about how body dysmorphia is not discussed enough amongst the wrestling community. I feel like it needs to be a, a more discussed thing because so many guys that I feel I, feel, I saw like a, a thread on Twitter of guys like talking about how they deal with body dysmorphia and you don't realize what it does to you. Even at my leanest, even when I had abs for days and things like that, I still saw myself as chubby. I still saw myself as imperfect. I still like saw the little imperfection. I'm like, oh, I'm still loose here. I'm still like, like that. And being a kid who grew up in a restaurant, I love food. I'm a fat kid at heart. I love to eat. That's like my favorite thing to do. So to take that away from me and kind of uh, have to dial in diets and then like look on television and see yourself. And like, I have a fat kid body. Like I see myself on television. I'm like, oh, I look horrible. I look so bad. And that like plays with you mentally. But that's another big part of why I was like, I don't want to be on TV anymore for a little bit. And I was like, I want to kind of just relax and not have to worry about thinking I'm an imperfect, ugly looking person on television for a little bit.
0: It is really crazy what happens. I had um, Dax on... And we were talking about body dysmorphia with that as well. Cause he, he was very open about his struggles with it and bulimia and a bunch of different things that fall under that umbrella, especially for men. We don't talk about it. I mean, women, we put everybody under the microscope all the time and we're always feeling those effects, but men never talk about that. And we never think like, Hey, maybe this guy's going through some stuff too, or the way that you see yourself. Or I mean, cause I would never in my life imagine that you go through something like that. I just see shredded Johnny. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's, that's a big reason why I feel so strongly about talking about it. Because I feel like if I'm going through it, there's definitely hundreds of people that wrestlers or not wrestlers that are going through it as well. And they're going to see me and see my body and be like, if this guy feels this way, like why, like it, it, it's just a very real thing that's a kind of never going to go away in my head. <laughs> like I said, I'm a chubby eight-year-old kid. And it's one of those things where I've learned to kind of live with it and deal with it. And I I realize what I'm doing in the moment. I'm like, if I see it myself and I'm like, I look horrible. I'm kind of like, do you really look horrible? Or is that just your brain kind of tricking you to say like you do look horrible? Which is, I don't know.
0: It is a total mind fuck though. Cause I mean, yeah, we like I said, we all go through that. And like even now after having a baby, where I'm like, what is happening? We're like, if I'm in clothes. Things might be all right, but uh, as soon as I'm like, wait, what is this skin? What's happening over here? That's like, it's so hard not to analyze every little inch of your body and to not be so hard on yourself all the time. Um, When do you feel your best?
1: I never. <laughs> never. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I know. I, there was never a moment. And this may just be coming from like a really insecure childhood of mine. Like I said, being a chubby kid, never feeling like he's good enough. Wrestling was the only thing I was good at. And the only thing I am good at, so like wrestling became my identity to where like, if I wrestled really well, people would love me. And like, that's such a slippery slope in itself because not everyone's going to love you. But if you have like the mindset to where if I do a really good match, like everyone's going to love me and I'm going to get that love I I need. But then you go on Twitter and you see someone say you suck. Then you just think, oh, I I do suck. And it could be, like I said, it could be 500 people saying that was the best match I've ever seen. The one person that says, Johnny Organo was the worst wrestler in the world. That's going to be the one I remember. That's going to be the one that sticks with me. Any match I had that's like praised or any any match that people liked, every single time I come through the curtain, anyone that was in Gorilla can tell you this. I walk through the curtain, and I just say, Was that okay? Like, was that fine? And it could be 15,000 people in Barclays Center losing their freaking mind, but I'll still come through the curtain and be like, Was that, was everything okay with that? You guys fine with that? And like, you can ask Candace, so many nights were spent at the hotel of me just like sitting there, kind of depressed and being like, I could have did better. Like I could have done more. Like I I left an opportunity on the table where I could have done this. And so much of that just comes from a place of insecurity. And that's why I think right now is a really tricky part for me because like wrestling's out of my life.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, is that giving you like another identity crisis? Knowing that wrestling is your thing and to not be doing that right now, how does that make you feel?
1: That's the thing. Like So wrestling's out of my life right now. And there's so much uncertainty in my mind in the wrestling world. Cause I don't really know where I fit in. I don't know where I want to be. I don't know what I want to do. And with wrestling being out of my life, that is my one identity. Like I'm Johnny O'Reilly, the wrestler. You're Johnny wrestling. Johnny the wrestler. Like what? Yeah. I'm Johnny wrestling.
0: <laughs> yeah. and if I'm not
1: Johnny wrestling. Then who am I? So I'm having kind of an existential crisis in itself. To where I'm going through that.
0: Is that like a weird thing? Does that keep you up at night? I feel like when I go through moments like that, I'll like wake up sometimes and I'm like, <gasps> I just like, it, it's a weird thing. Cause I, I sort of feel displaced sometimes like that as well. And it can be such an odd thing to go through.
1: So we talk about how everything happens for a reason. I think like having Quill now, that's let me not think about it that much. And I've, I've so focused in on taking care of him and being for Candace and doing the best I can for him that I'm not really thinking about like the future. I'm just thinking about the now, which is kind of a nice mindset to have. Obviously there's still that little bug in the back of my head that's saying like, you're gonna have to do something eventually.
0: (laughs) Are you watching anything?
1: I watch everything. Yeah, I watch literally everything. I watch AEW, I watch WWE, I watch NXT. And in my heart, I'm still a wrestling fan and that's never gonna leave me. And it's really fun to see my friends do great stuff. So uh, I I will always watch that. I posted like a vlog on my YouTube where me and Candace were literally watching AEW and NXT And Elimination Chamber in the (laughs) delivery room. Like that's just what we were doing because we're wrestling people. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a weird thing now to be like, I'm not dieting. So like I'm viewing my body in a different way and I'm also not wrestling. So I'm viewing myself in a different way.
0: Hey, we all appreciate a dad bod. Let's just put that out there. We do love a good dad bod. We respect it.
1: We'll see how, I the internet's going to respect it. (laughs) I'm glad you do. Hopefully they'll be forgiving. They'll be forgiving. It'll be gone by the time I come back. I promise.
0: Do you have any kind of a timeline on when you think you want to look to getting back in the ring?
1: So I just started taking bookings at signings and stuff like that because I felt like the thing I was missing the most and that's the thing that Twitch helped out with was like I missed that instant satisfaction of like talking to fans and getting that interaction with them. So I really wanted to kind of take like three to four things a month and be very selective about where I can go and kind of meet the fans and interact with them. And that can fill my heart with happiness for a little bit. And luckily signing's also help as well like to where I can fly in in the morning, I can do the signing and fly right back. So I don't have to be gone at night. And I feel like being gone at night is the hardest part for we're having a baby because uh <laughs> that's like the time where you need to sleep and you kind of got to switch off and one person needs to do one thing. So I wanted to be here at nighttime for Canvas as much as I can. So starting to dip my toes into that. Uh when am I going to return to the ring? And this, that's the more tricky part because it's just kind of going to be a feel thing. It needs to be the right place. It needs to be the right time. And I'm all about like, like, I said, things happening for a reason. And I think like eventually something will show itself to me. The universe will present itself in some way to where I'm like, okay, this is it. This is the thing I'm going to do. And I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be, but I feel like everything will work itself out and uh, it'll be the perfect time when it does come.
0: Do you feel like when everything was happening between NXT and AEW um, that NXT was trying to combat what was going on with AEW in terms of like, you know, all the eyes going over there and seeing their numbers constantly going up? Were those conversations that were being had in the locker room or, you know, with some of the higher ups there?
1: Like the locker room, like we all kind of just did our job and we kind of kind of just put our heads down and we were kind of like, like just like you said, we, we all have friends. We all had friends. We all have friends, all have friends in AEW. AWS has friends in NXT. Like, it wasn't like the locker rooms were competing with each other. Obviously, if you have shows on at the same time each night, they're going to be competing against each other. That's just how it works. And it's so wild to think back and during that time period and like the numbers that both shows were doing. Both shows were doing really good numbers in their spots nxt at one point was almost doing a million like that's that's a thing that like people are kind of like are rewriting history and saying like nxt never did well but at some point in some shows nxt were close to a million but there were some competing there was some like we got to do this because they're doing that but i don't know if anything was ever like booked purposely i'm sure like some cards were booked on purpose in certain times because other things were happening that like that was unbeknownst to all of us we're kind of just as you know working there you kind of get the script, then you kind of got- What segment am yeah, I in? what am I doing yeah. now? Okay, oh, this is <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Good to know. But other than that, like there wasn't anything competing going on between locker rooms or anything like that. But it's weird to me now to see people looking back at the golden age of NXT with like anything other than like fond memories. Because for, for all of us, we wish we would have appreciated it more. Because there was a time period where NXT were selling out 15,000 seat arenas. Takeover New York, me and Adam Cole, the two out of three falls match did a million-dollar gate? Like, they drew a million dollars. We were like, NXT never made money. NXT made a lot of money. I've seen the numbers. (laughs) They drew over a million dollars, I promise you. There was never any, like, we need to do this for that. But like I said, I just wish, I wish we would have appreciated the moments we had more. It's one of those things where you never know you're in the good times while you're in them.
0: Fight fans, take your best shot with a $150 bonus insight credit guaranteed from FanDuel Sportsbook. It doesn't matter if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out. New customers get an instant $150 bonus in site credit on your first bet of $5 or more from March 13th to April 4th. Just sign up with the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get in on this. You don't want to miss it. You can choose from the money line to the method of victory and so much more. And with cash out, the ball's in your court so you can close out your bet whenever you want before the fight is over. So get your $150 bonus in site credit guaranteed. Just sign up with the promo code Renee R-E-N-E-E, on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only $10 first deposit required bonus issued as is non-withdrawable set credit that expires 14 days after receipt restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com gambling problem call 1-800 next step or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat for Connecticut. 1 800 Gambler or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1 877 770 STOP for Louisiana. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1 877 8 HOPE NY or text HOPE NY for New York. Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. So as I was preparing for this interview, I was on your Twitter and saw your pinned tweet with the the older documentary on you and your indie days going through that injury that you went through with your match with Ricochet uh, with your back Um, and your, just your style of wanting to leave everything in the ring. Every time you want to put on such a great show for everybody, is your style going to change at all when you get back in the ring now being a dad? Are those things you're going to be thinking about in terms of like preserving your body in a different way?
1: It is in the back of my head where like I obviously, you know, and recently with Big E and things like that, you know, it's, it's no secret that like, what we do is very dangerous. And in a one second's notice, like your life could completely change. It's just how things go. And that's the risk we take in the ring. I do want to say yes, but also knowing me, and knowing who i am and knowing that i'm never going to not want to give 110% because that was the biggest thing for me is i felt like so many people have supported me for so long i wouldn't have gotten as far as i have in my career if it wasn't for wrestling fans wrestling fans cheer for me wrestling fans pay my salary wrestling fans you know are the whole pipeline of all of this and i never wanted to feel like i was taking money out of their pockets i never wanted to feel like i didn't give everything i had and that's almost like sometimes it's a detriment to myself. But if I have an idea or I have something in mind that we could potentially do and I don't do it, if it's going to be good and I don't do it out of risk of injury, I feel like I am robbing fans of a moment and I never want to feel like I, I robbed anyone of anything. So I want to say yes, but I do know I'm going to get caught up in the excitement. I'm going to get caught up in being back in it. My wrestling brain right now is completely turned off. But I'm sure the minute it turns back on, it's going to be going a million miles an hour. <laughs> this is going to be a freezing cold take because I'm going <laughs> to be wrong. <laughs>
0: um, my one of my final questions as we're winding down here is: How much money do you think is behind you in all of these toys and all these action figures? You are literally in like a Toys R Us right now.
1: <laughs> a lot. Uh, we just me and Candace just recorded like a, a YouTube video going through this room because a lot of people have been asking that question. Do you have
0: heat with Zack Ryder?
1: His amount of money he spends is, I can't touch that. (laughs) I'm not allowed to touch that. I wouldn't be allowed to touch that. So these are all toys that I collected when I was a child. I kind of wanted to recollect them for myself, but also for Quill when he gets old enough. Because yes, they're in packages right now, but I'm totally fine when he's old enough to like him to open up the packages and kind of play with them, kind of experience the same things I did as a child and have the toys that I did as a child. So uh, that that was my ultimate goal. Because, you know, I, I, and I say this too, because people are like, you're going to let him open all this stuff? I'm like, well, when I die, you're just going to sit in packages? Like, if he wants to play with them, like, uh, go for it.
0: Might as well. Might as well have at it. And it's a hell of a collection. What is your, like, what is your most proud thing in there?
1: I was a big Spider-Man, the animated series guy when I was younger. So I have, like, the complete collection of that. But if you, I guess if you're a wrestling fan, like, I have, like, the whole collection of, like, the original Hasbro's.
0: I feel like you could play a great Spider Man. You are Spider Man ask I feel like you could be cast. Uh,
1: I tried to be. I tried to be. That's probably the one of the kindest thing anyone's <laughs> ever told me. So I appreciate that.
0: Um, okay, before I let you go, you did have a, a bit of a run uh on Raw. What was what were those moments like for you when you were on Raw and some of the conversations you had with Vince, with Hunter, when all that stuff was going down?
1: So one of those things that like people don't realize, and I'm a- I can't even remember. Did we interact with you? You were there, weren't you?
0: You guys all kind of came up. And I remember it just being a little bit like, what's happening? What's up? <laughs> like, you guys were super confused.
1: That's how we felt as well. Because, like, during that time period, like, we were doing the story in NXT and everything was going great. And then the next minute I know I'm getting a call saying I'm going to be on Monday Night Raw. And I am called up the Raw and SmackDown. And uh, it was completely out of left field. We had no idea. I was literally in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I was at my dad's birthday party. I was like, it's going to be a great weekend. I get to enjoy myself. I'm not going to wrestle for a little bit. It's going to be fantastic. And I get a call from Matt Bloom that says, you're going to be on Monday Night Raw on Monday. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, uh, you're officially called up. I'm like, we're literally in the middle of, I'm the North American champion right now. Tomaso's the NXT champion. We're literally building to a match between us at TakeOver New York. What is happening? Ricochet, Aleister Black, me, Tommaso. We were called up randomly in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, the worst. <laughs> if you were living in Lafayette, Louisiana, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad crowd that night. <laughs> Not the best place to debut for NXT people as well. Maybe maybe New York, Chicago, one of those markets that like are, are kind of smart. But no, I literally had to text Tommaso and say, hey, can you go to my apartment? Because I don't have gear. I don't, I'm in Cleveland. Like I have to fly from Cleveland to uh, Lafayette the next day. I'm like, can you go to my apartment? We had to Facetime. Go to my apartment, get my gear, get a suit for me to wear because I got to wear dress clothes for this occasion. I had to Facetime with Tommaso and tell him, okay, get that suit, get that that shirt, get that. He got all that packed and brought it to me in Lafayette, and I think it was one of the that might have been one of the saddest flights I've ever taken.
0: I remember you guys all feeling a little bit morose about the whole situation because none of you knew what you were doing. It all just felt very disconnected from all the work you had been doing.
1: I am always in the mindset of like, if you want things to succeed, you need a plan. You need long-term storytelling, long-term plan. And I felt like that's what we were really doing really well in NXT is we were telling long-term stories that people were invested in. And I feel like in wrestling, if you have a plan, most of the time it'll work out. But like you said, we got there and the whole car ride, me, Alistair, Tommaso, uh, Ricochet, we were like, what? Because like, we all knew nothing. No one knew anything. And we were like, what are we doing on this show? Like, are we a group? Are we showing up as a, like, are we the new nexus? What's happening? Like, we had no idea what's going on. Like, what are we doing? And then we get there and we find out it's me and Tommaso versus the revival. Me and Tommaso are teaming again in a tag. Alistair and Ricochet are, are doing single stuff. Like, okay, and we were, like, we always love working the revival because we had a great run with them in NXT and they're the best, but uh, we just didn't know what was happening. So we go through that match. And then on SmackDown, we wrestle Cesaro and Sheamus and everything's great. Like Vince is awesome. I'm in the hallway just hanging out. Vince is coming up, he's smacking me on the back and saying, yeah, good job, kid, good job. But it's one of those things where like, I felt like we had unfinished business in NXT. The story we were telling was not done yet and we needed to kind of end this story the right way. So it ended up working out to where they found out Tommaso's neck he needed surgery.
0: Yeah, that was quick. That was a really quick turnaround all of a sudden that like you guys, it was like, now what?
1: Yeah, I believe we were at Raw or SmackDown and Tommaso saw the doctor and Tommaso pulled me aside and said, they're pulling me. They're making me go get surgery. And then when that happened, I was like, okay, well, what, what do we do now? Because I think the ultimate plan was for us to do Raw and SmackDown stuff, but keep doing NXT stuff as well. Because Tommaso was the NXT champion and I was a North American champion. I just lost it though. But And then Tommaso had to get neck surgery. I remember as soon as I heard that, I texted Sean. I texted uh, everyone. And I was like, hey, Tommaso's out. If there's no plan, if the plan was just for me and him to be a tag team, and then I think the plan was for me and him to be a tag team, the turn to happen, me and him to feud up there. I'm not really sure logistically. But if you don't have plans right now, just send me back to NXT so they have somebody that can main event this takeover, <laughs> and then uh, everyone agreed that like, okay, we'll send you back, and then we'll bring you back eventually. And then, luckily, the USA deal happened, and they're like, "We need Johnny on USA." And then it's just one of those things where it never got talked about again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, like Homer Simpson back into the hedge, give. Yeah, as you know, it's just such a
1: stressful environment, and some people are great in that environment. Some people love the stress. Some people love that atmosphere. I really like to know what I'm doing. I really like to know how much time we have, <laughs> and if time gets cut, that's fine. But I just like to know and have a hand in the story and the process and uh, things like that. But like I said, everyone in WWE is great. They've always treated me great. But it's just the environment sometimes is a little uh, little wild, as you know.
0: Yeah, the amount of times that we'd be like going on the air and they're like, the show's not written. Vince is rewriting it right now. But let's go out there right now. and start the show. It's like, what the hell? It's nuts. Um, Have you had any conversations with Hunter since you left or as you were on your way to leaving? Cause obviously he wasn't around during that time with his health issues and whatnot. Um, But have you spoken to him?
1: I talked to him a few times. He texted me and Candace when Quill was born, obviously, and congratulated us. And he said, he can't wait to meet Quill. And uh, my one request is that when he meets Quill, can he please take the finger pointing picture with him? And he said he would be honored to do that. So that is what we have in the docket is uh. Hunter's going to hit Quill with the next uh, finger pointing picture.
0: Well, Johnny, thank you so much for hanging out with me for a bit. I know you're obviously a very busy man doing that dad duty. Hopefully you don't have another blowout waiting for you on the other side of this. (laughs) Uh, But looking forward to more pictures of sweet little Quill up on your social media.
1: Thank you, Renee. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, I'm going to go change. I'm probably going to change. I already changed four diapers. Probably be another eight today, probably.
0: Also, was it rude that I was drinking from a Bengals cup this whole time? I saw that. I was (laughs) going
1: to acknowledge that at some point. Being a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> I
0: know. Sorry about that. Still I mean, it's, Ohio. it's Chip. Yeah, it's still Ohio. You can't be mad at us.
1: No, so if there was another team I would root for, it would be the Bengals. But the Browns are still better than the Bengals. But, I mean, Did I you
0: jump on the bandwagon a little bit no, this year?
1: No, no. No. I actively rooted True. against the Bengals because it's in the same <laughs> division. So I can't yeah. I can't root for them.
0: I'm an Ohio girl now. I got to I got to have my team. These are my guys.
1: You're like Candace. Candace adopted the Browns as well. Due to, you, you do know. what you got
0: to do? Well, we had moved. We moved to Cincinnati like as things were on the up and up. And I've never had a football team. So I'm like, here we go. I'm on the bandwagon.
1: That's, that's literally the same exact qu- thing that happened to Candace. She moved to Cleveland and uh, she's like, I love underdogs. And I was like, well, if you love underdogs, let me tell you, I got the football <laughs> team for you
0: a big thank you to Johnny for taking the time to hang out with me. Uh, I know it's not easy to always take a, an hour away from dad duty when you guys are in the thick of it uh, with a diaper blowout on top of that. So thank you to him and thank you to Candice. Much appreciated. And hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode, learned a little bit more about Johnny Wrestling. I know that I did. I It's funny, I don't feel like, obviously... Uh, I know Johnny, I've, I've met him, but we've not got to spend a ton of time together. Um, obviously, most of his time was in NXT, and I was on Raw or SmackDown, and there's only that brief window that we spoke about when they got called up to the main roster that we uh, had some more interactions. But um, it's always really cool when I can hop on here, and even though it's still over Zoom, and it's weird that that doesn't feel so sterile anymore. Like, I do feel like it's a good hangout with somebody at this point. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to, to just kind of have those hangs and feel like you you really are in the same room with somebody and kind of just getting to catch up and, and learn more about somebody. So hopefully it was nice on your ear holes and you guys enjoyed it. All right, guys, I'm out of here. This has been The Sessions. See you next time.